Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study class led by Pastor Jim Oddie. Due to a few technical difficulties this past Sunday, we were unable to capture the entire Bible study class session. However, to keep our weekly commitment to you as we go through this series, I sat down with Pastor Audie to discuss what the teachings of Jesus had in store for us this week. Enjoy. So uh, I'm going to, I'll read this first part from Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the hell of fire. So... The deal with this section of the Sermon on the Mount was it has a repetitive sort of sequence where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, and he then quotes whatever it is that they have been taught, and then he follows it up with the phrase, but I tell you. And so what we what we take away from that is, is that there were some... Uh, teachings that had been over the years add uh, I want to say added to the Ten Commandments, but the attempt was on the part of the of the teachers, the rabbis of the Jewish people, to specify, if you will, under what circumstances the commandments could be followed and obeyed, and then under what circumstances actions on the part of the people would be prohibited. And so, as is always the case, um, when you try to do that, you end up with taking something that was pretty straightforward and simple, not easy, but simple, in in your understanding of it, and then you make it more complex. I don't know if that's a product of evolution or not, but that's kind of what happened here. So, what happened was back in Exodus when when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses to give to the people, by the time Jesus comes around, which is, you know, like a thousand years later, well, then what happens is there's there's like 12 volumes of books that have been written and uh, items that have been specified on what the people could do and what the people could not do. And so that's what Jesus is reacting to with these the sequences here where you have heard that it was said, but I tell you that anyone. So the point with respect to this particular commandment here is that the thought was, was that if you murdered somebody, took their life in, in, in that intentional way, then that was the only way you could break the commandment. And if you had never murdered anybody, then you could walk around feeling pretty good about yourself and then look down on other people that maybe were murderers and say, well, I'm a higher class spiritual person than, than those people are. And so what Jesus is, is, is pointing out here is that there are lots of different ways to kill somebody. You can kill somebody certainly by taking their physical life, but you can also harm somebody by what you think and what you say and, and not just limit it to what you do. 
So, uh, so he says here that uh, if you're angry with your brother or sister, now the word anger there is not that sort of flash in the pan moment when somebody step on steps on your toes and then you, you know, you might say a bad word or you might say something mean or have some like dirty thought or something about their demise. It isn't that that isn't what he's talking about. He's really talking here more about. Um, Maybe a uh, simmering rage kind of idea that certainly can can manifest itself as a, uh, a a harmful action that you do to somebody, and in some cases it does lead to physical murder. But it's that sort of idea that I'm going to hold on to my anger. I'm going to hold on to this grudge that I have, and uh, if. If that sort of thing is allowed, if we allow it to um, fester, then oftentimes it does uh, result in some sort of destructive act toward the other person. And what most people fail to realize is that the longer you hang on to that sort of thing, you're harming yourself as well. So there's some really good wisdom here behind what uh, what Jesus is talking about um, with respect to anger. Then he says, if anybody says to the brother or sister, Raka, what Raka was, was a uh, was a, an insult. It, it, it means the idea that it's not specific to any one word, but it's the idea that you have a very contemptuous tone of voice. So one of the things I've noticed uh, because I, I wouldn't say that I'm totally immersed in social media, but Facebook probably is the primary way that I connect with um, people in, in terms of at least on the Internet. And, and one of the things I've noticed over the years is that there's an increased capacity, I guess, that people demonstrate on social media with contempt is that the way in which people speak of other people or they have commentary about other people, I don't know that they would do that if it was a face-to-face, but there's something about social media that seems to bring that out. Is that, is that something that you've noticed, too, or is that is, am I the only one seeing no, that? No, I, I notice it, too, but I've also learned through some, some other studies that there is kind of a disconnect when between human interaction, like mm-hmm. more civil human interaction, yeah. when there is a screen in between that person and those, between those two people or those those several yes. people out yes. there in the crowd. Yeah. So so there so you're you're taking away the face mm-hmm. of the other person that you're talking to because you're really just typing words on a screen, and then and you have at least two screens that separate separate you from the other person. That There's is very the, true. The screen between mm-hmm. the between me and, and the computer screen that I'm interacting with, and mm-hmm. then there's the other computer screen and the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have at least two screens between each person. Yeah, I've, I've been wondering about that too, why there, if it would make a difference if there was like a little screen on your screen that had the person's face while you're typing, you know, basically... Um, if that would make a difference in terms of the the ease with which it is to become contemptuous or to have be kind of venomous or just harsh, but anyway, that's what the uh, 
the raka is, and then the last one, anybody who says you fool. And so the uh, Greek word for fool, I love this, is mor- uh, moros, from which we get our word moron. And, you know, again, it's kind of one of those those uh, words that 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 there's more to it than just, oh, if you say somebody's a fool. It, that's not what it is. It's that you are in that moment looking into that person's heart and making making judgments about that. You're being judgmental. The way that we do that in our own, like, everyday life is that when we assume we know a person's intent or we know that person's motives for doing what they do, then that's when we're guilty of of harming that person, at least in terms of uh, what Jesus is talking about. So it's it's not that, you know, the Bible talks about the idea of, of warning us against being judgmental. And a lot of people have taken that out of context, I think, and have said, well, then you can't be judgmental of a person's actions or a person's decisions or a person's choices That's kind of the idea behind, oh, you have to be tolerant of that. Well, that's not really what the Bible, the Bible doesn't doesn't talk about it from that perspective. In fact, it encourages us to be discerning. And, uh, you know, the big D word that people hate today, discriminating, that you have to be that because you're looking at people's actions and choices and decisions. But what we are not allowed to do or what is not okay to do is to be judgmental of their intent or their motives. I can't look in your heart and tell why you did something. I can't tell if you are a believer or not a believer. I can't I can't do that. That's just between you and God. I can, however, be discerning or discriminating if you tell me what is your motive. See, if you tell me what is your intent, well then, okay, now I know, and now I can operate off of that, and I can say whether I think that's a good thing or not. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the principle that is work here at work here. So the whole point with Jesus is, and that's what this beloved life principle number 18 is about, that anger definitely gets people's attention. The problem is your anger is all they will remember. So I like to use a scale of 1 to 10 on on anger is that if my the level of my anger, my irritation is at a 1, well then that's not going to have any sort of real negative effect. But if it, if I let it go to a 7, 8, 9, 10, if I let it to go to that high level with you, then what happens is the only thing you're going to remember out of our encounter is my anger. You're not going to remember anything about what triggered it in the first place or whatever it was that I was, the point I was trying to make or some teaching I was trying to impart. And so I always caution parents, for example, when they're disciplining their children is to do a little pause, if you will, or a little sort of self-check on um, where's the, what's the level of my uh, anger? And if it's too high, I need to really go and, you know, kind of chill out for a little bit and then come back and address whatever it is that uh, happened. So going over this mm-hmm. lesson entirely, like yeah. it really was resonating with me, especially when we got when we got down to the the beloved life principle number 18. Yeah, because 
I personally, I, I do struggle with anger mm-hmm. issues uh, over the years, pretty much my entire life. I've been trying to improve myself to be more aware of it and to help control my anger. And so like just going through all these, these passages and these notes has really been, been helpful. Yeah. And when, when, whenever we, we spoke about anger definitely gets people attention. The problem, but the problem is your anger, your anger is all they will remember. Mm -hmm. I can remember vividly a time it was within the, the really the past year or so Mm -hmm. uh, when I went on a family trip and I was I was with my 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 mother, my my dad, my my wife, mm-hmm. and also my nieces oh. as well. And we were all driving. Mm-hmm. We were all driving back to uh, the hotel room in the same car. In the same car. <laughs> yes, it was a family. It was a whole family affair. And oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So and and it was raining outside. And it was. We were in a new area. People were all bad drivers, of course. Uh, I was the one driving, um, and you know, just one distraction piled up on another. Um, And then, unfortunately, I lost my my temper, and I and I became very angry. Yes, and I just vividly remember, like we still had another five, seven, ten minutes to go on the car ride, and it was it was dead silent the rest of the the remaining remainder of the car ride home, Mm -hmm. and driving just silently reflecting on that moment when I after shortly after I lost my temper I I realized wow I I really messed up I don't want that to ever happen again and that was like that was so much punishment on me and like I knew I knew that I had hurt feelings in that vehicle at the time and more so I'm like I don't want my nieces to remember me right to to be acting only in that way yeah and so that was also a very powerful realization at that moment. When when we're around little kids like that, you know, that probably hits us in a more profound way because if it's other adults, other adults sort of get it and then can kind of go, well, he must have had a bad day. And well, you know, I mean, adults sort of make up reasons for things, but kids are way more vulnerable to the process way differently. Oh, and, yeah. and I'm and w- whenever I do have children of my own someday, I don't want to yeah. act that way in front of them. So either. how did you repair that with them? Oh, immediately after, after getting like, after we had stopped <laughs> and everything and, and you know, yeah. everyone, everyone could kind of calm down and sure. we were out of that vulnerable area. Yeah. We had space to breathe. You were back. De- yeah. Definitely. Like I did my best to, to help mm-hmm. amend all yeah, that. That's what you that's how you do it. And so one of the things that's important is to remember to repair because if you don't repair then then the last thing that people remember is the bad moment and then there's not anything that that comes after that to soothe that and then certainly to forgive that. So um, knowing the other people in the car, I'm assuming that they re, they forgave you and they're very uh, gracious. I don't know if you had to do penance after that. Maybe you did, had to go wash the car or something like that. I don't know. But uh, anyway. Okay, well, then the next verses still are building on that. So the next verses are verses 23 and 24 where he says, 
therefore. So, you know, whenever Jesus says, therefore, then what he's saying is, okay, the, the next thing I'm going to say builds on the thing I said before. Okay, so he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. This one, this these verses, I didn't really ever understand those verses very well because I always thought, well, let's see, okay, the application would be that you're in church and you bring your offering to church with you. And then while the offering plates are being, you know, handed out, you suddenly remember, oh, my gosh, I got somebody doesn't like something I did. Are you supposed to, like, get up in the middle of church and go and and take care of that? And I guess, you know, on some level you could, but it's like, whoa, how would that work? So anyway, when I was doing research on this, what I found what found out was that in Jesus's day, People would bring their sacrificial offerings to the temple or to the to the temp to the synagogue, and they would they would hand it to the priest. And then what would happen is the priest then would take the offering and take it into the area where the offerings were deposited, so to speak. So in Jesus's day, if you would take your offering and you're handing it to the priest. And then you're remembering, oh, somebody has something against me, which I'm not sure how you would remember that, why you would not think of that until you brought it to the priest. But maybe part of it is it's just God's spirit would you would say, oh, OK, this is why I'm doing this. The other reason is because part of the gift giving in those days, particularly if it was an offering of sacrifice, involved thinking about your relationships with other people. And so if you were, in fact, bringing a gift for that reason, well, then that would be on your mind. And it's kind of interesting here because the emphasis is, in this case, you are the offender instead of the offended. That's what he says. If you you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, well, then that means they are the victim of something you did and as opposed to the idea that that you are the victim of somebody else there, there's a reason they're holding something against that you. is correct and but notice where the impetus is the impetus is not on them coming to you to deal with it the emphasis is on you go to them and in fact you go to them and work toward reconciliation then come back and in the meanwhile, the priest has held the gift. He's probably put it over in the cloakroom somewhere with your name on it so that it's remembered. But it is this idea that that giving gifts for God's work is important, but it is subverted if I'm in some way dodging my my relationships and the, the hurt that exists in relationships if I'm thinking, well, I'll just go, you know, give a gift to the church and then that'll make everything okay. Jesus says, uh-uh, it doesn't make everything okay. The church is happy to get your gift, but but it it, it is of no spiritual value. And in fact, it may be bringing spiritual harm. And and I made some, some notes here whenever I was reading this earlier. Yeah. The idea that came to me was 
Jesus here is kind of saying, you know, you need to practice, like put your actions into practice, walk your talk in a way yes. like you're wanting to reconcile with God. But those, those gifts, those sacrifices that you're making aren't going to mean much to God if you're not reconciling with the people that you hurt in the first place. That's so you correct. need to reconcile with others as mm-hmm. you want to reconcile with God. Yeah. You know, I've often thought about it with, and, and I wonder why this is, because I'm thinking about your story that you told earlier about, you know, everybody being in the car. I, d- I don't know what it is about about Christians being in the car, <laughs> but but more people have arguments and fights in the car with like family, and then you're on your way and you're trying to find the place. Well, I can't tell you how many times people have told me this, and I'm even thinking back to my own childhood bringing, uh, upbringing. How many fights took place in the car on the way to church? And then we all get to church and it's like, you know, everybody is like pretending they're really happy with each other and smiling and and they're really still fuming, you know, with each other. Doesn't even take that long to, <laughs> to get into a fight in the car. I know. It's amazing. But almost have like a stopwatch going every time I took a family trip when I was a child. Like, yes. oh, OK, there goes mom and dad arguing yeah. again. <laughs> well, and it's also just, you know, we're usually a bunch of moving bodies being compressed into a tiny area and at least for me when i grew up we didn't have any air conditioning in the car so you know that was like torture elevated heat can like cause your temper to it can to it become can. shortened yes that's right and we didn't have nobody had any uh dvds to play in the car or anything like that and so. driving is already stressful enough especially it is for already, the driver yes that's right and that depending is. on who is driving it can be stressful for the passenger well and especially <laughs> if you have a bunch of backseat drivers <laughs> who, who are more than happy to tell you uh, you should have turned left instead of turning right and what's the matter with you and and that sort of thing so and you're trapped i mean what are you going to do you how do you escape the car. So so all those things are what Jesus is really is really talking about there that the importance of attempting to be reconciled. The the harder task of reconciliation is that it does not just involve forgiveness. It also involves working together and to restore trust. Uh, there is a difference between the way the Bible talks about forgiveness that I can forgive you in my heart which may or may not involve you and I doing a face-to-face. But if we're going to do reconciliation, well, then now it's face-to-face, and we're, we certainly have opportunity to talk about uh, forgiving each other. But then we also have to figure out how do we handle this situation better so that we can build on trust and create a better working relationship or marriage or whatever it is that that is affected. So that's the idea then at the bottom of the of, of page two, where I talked about the idea of a reconciliation sequence, is that you graciously go to the other person, you make the attempt in a wholehearted way. So in other words, you do it with humility, not going into the with that person and say, well, yeah, I did all this, but here's why I did it. And basically it's your fault. And then you talk it through. And what I've learned is that in some situations with some, some individuals maybe where there's a long history of, of difficulty between them, that sometimes you act, actually have to involve a third party to help facilitate that uh, reconciliation process. But, you know, okay, you, you 
take your best shot at it. And whether that person is receptive or not, sometimes it takes two or three times to do that. But but then the idea Jesus says is, okay, then you can come back to the to the church and or come back to where you left your gift and then give the gift and and feel feel good about your uh, the effort that you made, even if the results aren't always what you want. The, the trick is, is that after you've done that, you have to treat the person differently. You have to treat them still with kindness and treat them with uh, a respect as one whom you have forgiven or one from whom you've asked for forgiveness, whether they granted that or not. And sometimes that's that's a harder thing to do. You've asked for forgiveness. You've admitted where you messed up. And then they, on their part, have decided that they're going to hang on to that or hold it over your head or... Or do some, you know, other way to keep it. At that point, reconciliation may require you to distance yourself just a little bit from that person, give give some space to that. But again, the beloved life principle there is how you feel about the other person is not the primary motive to reconcile. It is rather how God treats you. So see that at the end of the day, the reason why we reconcile and the power behind it is not, oh, I'm going to go reconcile with that person because I just know I'd feel better after I do it or something like that. It, I mean, you may end up feeling better, but the reason for doing it is because that's what God does for us. So that becomes the motive. Plus, in your case, you want to get in the car with them again sometime and go somewhere. <laughs> if I could ask a, a quick question. Sure. We're, we're called to go and reconcile mm-hmm. with, with someone that we've wronged. What about in some instance, the, the person we're trying to reconcile with, they, they may have considered what, we, what, what action we've taken against them to be unforgivable in a way, yes. or they have a very hard time uh, forgiving you, mm-hmm. even though you in your heart are remorseful about it and, and, and really do seek forgiveness after you do everything in your power to attempt to reconcile, like, yeah. but they, but the other person will not, will still not forgive you. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we go from there? Are we still not, I mean, we continue to try and get that reconciliation completed, Yeah. but does that mean that we are not in correct alignment? We are still not in correct alignment with God. If that other person can't forgive us? No, because, well, the answer is no. I mean, the, the, because the intent that you have, God is looking at your heart and he's looking at the intent that you have. So the Bible talks about this idea, St. Paul does, and I can't remember where the verse is, but he says that it, it, make every effort to live at peace with somebody. In fact, I think that verse comes up maybe in the next lesson that we're going to be doing this week. So you think, well, okay, what does it mean to make every effort? What does that mean on my part? And how do I do that if the other person doesn't seem to be making any effort to to reconcile? I think that sometimes, again, that's where a third party can be helpful because there either is some history that that person has with you and maybe this is the latest installment of the of the damage to the relationship. And that person is thinking, well, 
I don't think I can forgive you because I'm pretty sure you're going to do it again because you've done it 20 times before. Okay, that's that's possible that that's, that's what's really going on. Sometimes people confuse trust with forgiveness and think that they're, they're the same when they're in fact not the same. So forgiveness is always something that we do because God in Christ has forgiven us. So the, the motive behind forgiving is really based on our gratitude for what God has already done for us. So that makes forgiveness unconditional. It's not where you have to earn my forgiveness, where you, I mean, as if you could. I mean, nobody can earn anybody's forgiveness. It's just that that's why we point to God rather than point to each other as the reason to forgive. So forgiveness is like love. It's, it's unconditional. We, we love because Christ loved us. We forgive because God forgave us in Christ. Trust is entirely different. Trust is totally earned. And so trust is based on the trustworthy behavior. You know, if I, if I say, Phil, I'm going to trust you that this recording will be done well and that, it, that the content will be will be handled respectfully. Okay, I trust that that you'll do that. Well, then you, week after week, you live up to that trust. Well, then what that means is, is that I will trust you with a lot because what we say here um, goes out to wherever it goes and it doesn't get manipulated in some way that is going to be self-serving for Phil Casper and not for, you know, for me or for the church or for God. See, so you you earn over time a high level of trust, which is related to forgiveness, but it's conditional rather than unconditional. So kind of the way that works is with other people is that sometimes people confuse trust with forgiveness and they say, well, I could just never forgive him for that. You know, he's been he's done that 20 times and I. I just know he's going to do it again, and so I could never forgive him. Well, I think the real issue is is that you can forgive him, but maybe you can't trust him. See? And to be sure, I mean, the reality is it is much harder to forgive somebody when you don't trust them. When you've been burned by them, and then you, you have gone to them and said, hey, you know, what you did hurt me or what you did, did respect me, disrespected me, and then their response is, well, I had every right to do that. See, well, then, okay, I, I guess I'm going to work at forgiving you, but I assure you I won't be trusting you. And that's kind of how that works in relationships. So, so, again, sometimes people confuse the two, and that's why they don't forgive. Uh, sometimes there's a history there that they can't forgive. And then there are people, and maybe we've all kind of been down this road ourselves uh, at one time or another, where you've had a bad experience with somebody in your history, in your life, maybe when you were a kid or something. And then later in life, as an adult, you have another experience with somebody that, and it seems eerily similar to what you went through when you were a kid. And it was a bad thing. So this happens sometimes with people that were abused as kids, is that later in life, they they have some other experience with an adult that seems like almost like the same thing, even if it's not. And it triggers the, all the old stuff. And so then 
they say, oh, I, I could never forgive or trust. And it doesn't have anything to do with the person in the present. It's that the present situation triggered stuff from the past. So, again, those are all situations I have found where if people are open to the idea of a third party, and sometimes I get asked to be that third party and I'm you know, able to do that, then that's what it takes. It takes somebody to help somebody else sort of sort that out. The bottom line with forgiveness is, is that, or with reconciliation and forgiveness, is that if you and I have something between us and we fail to, recon- to uh, reconcile, it is very likely that that will affect both of us. If, some, if you and I have something between us and I fail to forgive, that may not affect you. My failure to forgive may not affect you, but it'll really affect me. So good. I'm glad that. So are you, did your family say never again will we let you drive or? No, they still trust me to drive. Oh, see, it's trust is still high. Yes. That's good, Bill. That's <laughs> the trust good. is still there. Yes. <laughs> well, then the last, uh, the last section of scripture for this lesson was verses uh, 25 to 26, where Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So I really looked at this as not, I mean, there's certainly always spiritual value to this, but I was really looking at this more from a very practical perspective, that if you have, uh, and, in, and in this case, the, uh, the context would, would be someone owing money to somebody else is basically what that is. And so the idea is if you owe money to an individual or if you owe money to the IRS or if you owe money to whatever, the government, then deal with it. Don't procrastinate it. Don't, don't put it off. Don't uh, get letters in the mail and bury them thinking, oh, it's going to go away. It, you know, I'll just shut my eyes to it. It'll only make it worse. It only makes it worse. That's right. And so he's, that's what he's saying. Settle matters quickly. Because uh, the idea of it is, is that if you procrastinate, then you're giving in to the fear of whatever you think will happen. And the reality is when we give in to fear, that actually is a multiplier that makes things, uh, makes things worse. And so, uh, you know, take care of it. And maybe if you take care of it on the early end or the front end, it'll actually go better for you. And that's that was really what I uh, what I was pointing out here. And and the main takeaway that I took from this from this passage, uh-huh. uh, thinking on it more on on, a, I guess, a grander scale. Yeah. Is that you don't want to wait too long to reconcile with the person while you're both still alive on on this earth. Oh, that's good. Uh, and, and that you're both alive. Because yeah. if if you're not if you don't reconcile with the person and, you know, they they depart. Yeah. Then you're going then, you know, they may still hold that grudge or whatever or testify in a way against you, against the the supreme judge, God. On the oh, final day. Oh, I can see <laughs> is, where is you're going with this, Phil. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're all standing at the pearly gates, right. and you're standing there, <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, I don't know, Peter, if we should let this guy in because here's the 10 things he did. Well, the good news is is that Jesus will stand there and 
And if you have your list, Jesus's list is 20 times longer. So, Phil, just remember that. Oh, yeah. And then he says, but I love you and I forgive you. But to think of it from, from that reconciliation perspective is also true. And I hadn't even thought about that till you said that. Is, uh, is that the long, if you, have a, if you have a dispute with your neighbor or if you have a, an issue that needs to be addressed or something, the longer you put it off the the angrier that other person gets and all of a sudden what started out as a little like three level irritation now goes to a nine or a ten and sometimes it truly is that this happens is where you'll have a dispute let's say between two neighbors like oh you built your fence on one you know foot of my lawn or something and the other neighbor goes, eh, he's just making a big deal about nothing. I'm not even going to say anything. Well, then if it goes on, the next thing you know, it turns into a lawsuit. And somebody comes in and says, well, I'm going to tear that fence down because it's on my property. So it's just it's that idea that if there is something between you and somebody else is deal with it. Don't don't act as if it's not a big deal and then you don't address it or you're somehow immune to addressing it, well, then it's going to get worse. And and how many times have you heard, like in hindsight, you know, somebody say, if if you'd only come to me about this sooner and told me about this sooner. Yes, yes. And and it's so true. And, and yet you'd think that, you know, after a thousand years, we would sort of learn that that's the best way to do it. But again, I think it, some of that is that giving into fear is that, well, if I go to my neighbor, if I go to my brother and admit this, that somehow then I'll be diminished in my own eyes and I couldn't live with that or I couldn't bear that. So I'll just get, you know, arrogant and wait for him to come to me. You know, and, and, and that's just, it's stupid in addition to harmful. So, well, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and close the prayer. So, Father, we thank you for the time that uh, Phil and I can talk these things through and, and look forward to next Sunday kind of in front of the bigger group. But uh, this, is, this is so rich and such a great way to, to kind of talk through your word. Thank you for the, the folks that are hearing this and uh, pray that uh, this will be a blessing to them and look forward to, to next week as well. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. 
Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.